it's that sometimes life doesn't go the way you planned it. Sometimes it's of your own doing. You make poor choices and it lands on you. Sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. Somebody else made a poor choice and it still lands on you. That's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks in this series called Thrill of Hope. And just hearing those three words, you might guess, we, we took the name of this series from one of the most famous Christmas songs in the history of the world, O Holy Night. And in just a few minutes, we're going to end the service with that song. And before we ever opened our doors, I kind of made a pact that as long as I get to be the pastor, every Christmas service, we're going to end with O Holy Night. And so if you don't like that, probably ought to look for another church or get me fired, one or the other. Uh, so I want to take a look at those words from the song real quick, just to remind us of what the French poet was thinking when he wrote these words as a poem uh, hundreds of years ago. It goes like this, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, that's Jesus, and the soul that's us, felt its worth. And here comes the big words. A thrill of hope. That's Jesus again. The weary soul rejoices. You ever, you ever have a weary soul? For yonder breaks. The reason it's a thrill of hope is because a new day is coming. Yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I want to recap real quick what we've been talking about for the last few weeks in case you're new to the Bridge Fellowship or you've missed a couple of weeks. And, and if you want to catch up, you can go to our website, bridgecos.com, and uh, watch all of those uh, services online uh, uh, to catch up and, and watch this whole series. It's, it's been an incredible encouragement to, be, to me and those of you who have been here. I hope it has been to you too. Let me start with this little teenage girl named Mary. She's minding her own business, doing what teenage girls 2,000 years ago did, whatever that was. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. Now, if you're anything like me, that's enough. Like, an angel appeared, I'm freaking out, right? I'm, I'm going to wet myself just a little bit just because there's an angel in my presence. They're talking to me. It's not enough that the angel came. The angel tells Mary, you're going to get pregnant. And Mary had to laugh because she knew, I've never been with a man before. I can't possibly get pregnant. Then the story gets even crazier because Mary goes, uh, the angel says to Mary, it's no human that's going to make you pregnant. God is going to make you pregnant. And, and you're not going to just carry and give birth to any little boy. You're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Now, whether you're a teenager right now in this room or you, you once were, Think about how that would sound to you, how ludicrous and ridiculous and far out it would sound if an angel came and said, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world, the, the man who's going to wipe out all the sin across the entire earth. Doesn't stop there. Mary was engaged at the time to a guy named Joseph. So now she's got to go tell Joseph, A, I'm pregnant. And B, you're not the dad. And Joseph's like, no joke, sister. What, do you, you know, what are you talking about? And now Joseph is freaking out. And, and by the way, don't miss this. In Jesus' time when all this is going on, in many communities, adultery 
was punishable by death. And so Joseph could have had Mary executed for this. But at minimum, now he's freaking out, going, what's happening to my life? And the Bible says that because Joseph was an honorable man, his plan was, instead of to put her to death, he was just going to divorce her or, or get rid of the, mar- the future marriage uh, quietly and let her go on her way, and he was going to go on his way. And then an angel visited him. Joseph's turn. And the angel says the same thing. Listen, Joseph, you're going to raise the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Now, pause for a minute and just imagine that Joseph and Mary both have to explain all of this to family and friends. And Joseph has to go to his boss and explain all this. They're the laughing stock of their town. Everybody's talking about them. Everybody's whispering. You know what I call that? Chaos. Can you relate to chaos in your life? And and you you read the first part of the story and you think, man, that's a heavy load for a young couple to bear. But the story's not over there. Because now, fast forward nine months, Mary is great with child. And I said a few weeks ago, everybody who's been married to a woman who's had a baby, or if you are a woman who's had a baby, you know there are three stages of pregnancy, right? Stage one, excitement, disbelief. Just, you know, energetic morning sickness, thinking, I'm going to have a baby. Then there's the middle stage where life is somewhat normal, even though you're carrying a human being inside of you. And then there's stage three, which I call the angry stage, where you just want this child out of you, right? You can't sleep. There's a small foot sticking in your ribs or puncturing a lung. You're miserable. You just want it to be over. That's the stage that Mary's in now in the story. And when she's in that stage, ready to give birth to Jesus Christ, Caesar Augustus puts out a decree that says everyone in this area has to go to their hometown and register for the census. Well, Joseph's hometown, which is where they would have gone, was 70 miles from Nazareth, where they lived, in a little town called Bethlehem. In case you don't remember, there was no Uber back then. They had to walk 70 miles with Mary nine months pregnant to register for the census. That's chaos. They get to Bethlehem and they're registering and, and making sure their, their family is counted. And all of a sudden, Jesus decides, I'm coming right now. Mary goes into labor and because of the census, no hotel rooms available in Bethlehem. They have to scrounge around and finally find a barn to give birth to Jesus in. That's not a fairy tale. That really happened. And, and that nice little Christmas song we sing all the time, Away in a Manger, it sounds sweet. But what it means is when Jesus was born, all they had to put him in was a cow trough. That's all there was. You know what I call that? Chaos. And with that whole story and and the the, the Jesus being born story, here's what we said about all this. Look at this on the screen. Jesus wasn't just born into chaos. He came to calm the chaos. And we also said this. Jesus did not come to condemn you for your chaos. He came so that you could have hope in the midst of your chaos. So many new faces in here today, and even some of our regular Bridge family. I have no idea what you carried into this place today. 
There are a lot of people who love Christmas, but there are a lot of people that brings up bad memories and it's heavy and it's hard. That's what I call chaos. And Jesus came into this world for your chaos. One of the greatest mistakes people make when they come and sit in a church and listen to a a pastor talk is everything that is said, everything that they see on a screen, everything that they read, we think this, yeah, that's true, but for somebody else, not for me. And this promise of this little baby being born into a chaotic world to calm the chaos and bring hope in the midst of the chaos, that's for you. Not just for the person sitting two rows in front of you or for the neighbor that you know does everything right. He came for messy, broken people just like you and me. That brings us to this week, the final week of this Thrill of Hope series. And and we've been praying for weeks now that everyone who hears this message and this series, this story of little baby Jesus, it wouldn't just be a cute little story, but it would be a game changer for some of you. It would be a fresh start, a do-over, a whole new outlook on life. And I can't think of a better passage of scripture to wrap this up than looking at Hebrews chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphone or you're watching on Facebook live and you want to turn there, I know it doesn't sound like the the traditional Christmas passage, but I think when we read through it, you're going to understand why we called this series the thrill of hope. And just to set it up before we read together, The author, the writer of Hebrews, and we really don't know who that is. A lot of people think it was the Apostle Paul, but that's irrelevant. The point is, the author is encouraging people who have recently been introduced to Jesus Christ. They They have recently come to a point in their life where they've handed over the keys of their life to Jesus Christ. And he's he's really not just encouraging them, he's imploring them. And here's what he's saying: don't settle. Like whatever your life looks like right now, whatever somebody told you your life was going to be like forever, he's saying in Hebrews chapter 6, don't settle for a life that is less than God intended for you to live. Don't settle for a life without peace, joy, hope, purpose, strength. What what he's saying in Hebrews chapter 6, and we're about to read the second part of that, He's saying you don't have to settle. Because of that little baby Jesus that came and was born and grew up and died on a cross and rose again and defeated death that day, you don't have to settle. You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay hopeless. He brought hope. He didn't just bring hope. Jesus Christ is hope. So the author of Hebrews says, instead of settling, follow the example of some of those who have gone before you and discovered that what they were looking for their entire life was not a promotion, not a bigger bank account, not a nicer car, a nicer home. It was Jesus. And that's where we pick it up. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. For example, he says, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently. It's never the fun part of a relationship with God, the waiting. But look what happens next. He received what God 
had promised. Verse 16, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself to an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Hold that thought because I'm going to explain that in a minute. These two things, so uh, verse 18, so, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, here comes the good news. We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope, Jesus Christ, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. There's a lot going on in that passage, and so for time's sake today, I just want to clear a couple of things up. At the beginning of that passage, you hear that God makes a promise to Abraham. And it's a promise that he's going to multiply his family. But if you don't know the rest of the story, Abraham didn't have a child until he was about 100 years old. He'd been waiting and waiting on God. And listen, sometimes God is answering what you're praying for. He's just not answering it on your timeline. But too often we give up and we turn our backs and we say, you know what, I'm through with this. I don't trust God anymore. I don't trust the church anymore because of the waiting. And then he starts talking about this promise and this oath. And, and we don't have time to explain all that today, but just know this. God was not just promising something that day. He backed it up and took it to the thousandth power by making it a covenant. Not just a promise, but an oath, a covenant. And you know what? That that was in that promise, not just a bunch of grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren for Abraham. You know what was a part of that promise that God made to Abraham that day? Jesus was in that promise. If you go back and look at your biblical history and forget that, your secular history, and look at the lineage of Jesus Christ, if you follow it far enough back, you come to Abraham. So the promise included Jesus Christ. And knowing that part of that covenant between God and Abraham was Jesus, it's interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews uses the example of an anchor to describe Jesus. When he says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, he's talking about Jesus. And I think the reason he used that word, anchor, is because most people in Jesus' day for a living, as a career, they did one of two things. They were either a farmer or a fisherman. And so when he uses the term anchor, everybody in the crowd that day or everybody reading that letter knew what he was talking about. They understood anchor. They understood when is an anchor really most important? During a storm. Look with me at Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Uh, this is a, a, a passage of scripture where Jesus and his followers get caught in a storm. So let's read together. Verse 35 says this, As the evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, started out, leaving the crowds behind, uh, although other boats followed them. And look at verse 37, But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. 
You ever been caught in a storm? I mean, really like a, a physical storm? When I was a little kid and, and people that go to the bridge all the time, bridge family, uh, you know this, I was afraid of everything when I was a little kid. I, I, was, I was afraid of everything, but especially thunderstorms. I grew up uh, on the Arkansas-Oklahoma border in the middle of Tornado Alley, and so I grew up with, with tornado warnings and tornado sirens, but I'm telling you, there was nothing brave about this kid. I can remember even like nine, ten years old, if it thundered outside, we lived in a, a little bitty shotgun-style house uh, in Arkansas, and so we didn't have a basement. I would run to the hall closet just upon thunder, I'm telling you, and I'd start emptying that hall closet out. And everyone else who's going about their normal, sane lives, when it's thundering outside, someone would say, where's Stephen? And somebody would roll their eyes and go, in the closet, because I was so terrified of storms. Eventually, my dad gets tired of this, and a real storm comes when I'm 11 years old doing what great fathers did back then and what would get him arrested and put in jail for child endangerment today, my dad picked me up, physically forced me out on the porch, and together, in a joyous, terrifying moment, I watched a tornado go over our house. I watched it pick up a four-foot-wide oak tree in my neighbor's front yard and throw it in the churchyard across the street from my house. I'm not telling you to do this with your children, but all I'm telling you is this. Since that day, I have been fascinated by storms. I drive my family crazy because when a big thunderstorm or a tornado warning comes, everyone else takes shelter, I get in the car to go look. I don't know how to explain that, but what, what I'm telling you is storms can be scary. I remember another storm I was in when I was in college we were out on the lake. We loved to water ski and tube and all that kind of stuff. And we were on Lake Tenkiller in eastern Oklahoma. And a massive hailstorm came with no warning. The skies got super dark. And then at first it was these little pea-sized hail balls coming down. And before you know it, it's quarter and golf ball-sized hail. And we're just in a ski boat. We have no shelter. We are freaking out. Like, you know college dudes, they like to look tough and like they got their act together. There's three college dudes on a lake crying for their mommies at this moment because we, we didn't know what to do. We didn't have any hope. And it was the first time I've ever been on a vessel on the water of any size where I felt helpless because the storm was literally taking us wherever it wanted to go. And the boat was rocking back and forth. There was, we had no power against this storm. You know why? No anchor. Anchors are important in the storm. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4 and pick it up in verse 38. You're going to love this. Remember, raging storm. The disciples are doing what Steve and his friends did on the lake uh, in the hailstorm. They're freaking out. They think we are going to die today. And look what happens in verse 38. Now, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, let me call a timeout for a minute because a lot of times I think we sugarcoat and clean up the Bible a little bit because we think it should sound proper. This is not a proper conversation. These are sailors, fishermen, right? And, and 
and they are freaking out, thinking they're going to die, and they're not very calmly, excuse me, Jesus, little baby Jesus, um, Christ, Savior of the world, Stormy, they're, they're shaking them. They may have dragged them out of the bed. They're freaking out. The Bible says they are shouting at Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And look what Jesus does. What he specializes in, verse 39. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind. He spoke to the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped. And I love this. There was a great calm. Jesus wasn't just born into chaos. He came to calm the chaos. It's what he specializes in today. And, and there are probably people within the sound of my voice on the internet or in this room today that are going, I could use some calm in my chaos, but I don't even feel like Jesus is paying attention. And I know what that feels like. And, and listen, if, if you came in this church today looking for a, a buttoned up, put together pastor, you are in the wrong place because I don't have this figured out. We don't have this figured out. There are days when I doubt. There are days when I ask God tough questions. There are days when I shake my fist at him and say, do your job better because it's not working in my life. But the honest truth is, most of the time when I have those moments, God hasn't moved. I'm the one that fades away or drifts off. Here are a few things to remember as we close about storms that life sends our way. Number one, we all have storms. Nobody's exempt. Nobody's immune. You're either in a storm right now, you're coming out of a storm, or one's on the way. Storms are a part of this broken world. The second thing you can know about storms is that Jesus is in the storm. He's right there in the boat with you. You can't always feel him. You can't always hear him. But he hasn't gone anywhere. The other thing you can know about storms is that Jesus has a plan for your life no matter how violent or destructive the storm may be. You may wake up in a rubble that used to be your life going, how did I get here? That situation that you're walking through did not take God by surprise. Jesus is not up in heaven like the home alone kid going, oh my goodness, what happened? He knows what you're going through. And the plan that he has for your life, a plan to give you hope and a future, a good plan, is still intact. He hasn't given up on you. Here's something worth remembering today. Look at this on the screen. It's not the size or duration of the storm in your life that matters. It's who or what you choose to serve as your anchor. That's worth taking a picture of. Here at the bridge, we don't really take notes. We just tell you, get out your smartphone, take a picture of the screen. It's a lot faster. Saves from rider's cramp. Saves from you, like, getting half the thing written down, and then we change the screen, and then you say a bad word in church, and then you feel bad, you know, you know. So just take a picture. In other words, let me paraphrase that. When the storm comes to your life, and it's going to, where do you turn? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to rely on? Is it good old-fashioned American grit? Is it pull-up-your-bootstraps determination? At the, at the risk of sounding sarcastic, which is one of my spiritual gifts, let me ask you a question. If that's your life plan, I got this. 
Everybody leave me alone. I don't need you, God. I don't need you other people. I can do this all by myself. I have a question for you. How's that working? Who are you trusting to be your anchor in the midst of the storm in your life? Do you even have one? If you don't, or you've forgotten, or gotten distracted, I have good news for you today. I don't know exactly what it is you're looking for this Christmas. Maybe it's one of those things I mentioned earlier. Peace, hope, joy. What on earth am I doing on this planet? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And hint, it's not just to make money or climb the ladder or have a family. God has big plans for you to make a difference. Maybe what you're looking for this Christmas is just enough strength to make it through yet another storm. And I would never pretend to know all of that in your life, but I do know this. Whatever it is your heart is longing for, whatever it is that you're searching for, there is only one true answer. And I know what some of you are thinking. I don't believe all that Jesus is the only way crap. I've tried that and my marriage still fell apart. I tried Jesus and I still lost my career. I tried Jesus and God didn't heal my child. Fair. That's fair. But here's the answer. And I'll put it in the terms of one of the greatest pastors and leaders our world have ever seen, Billy Graham. Here's what he says about this. If God is good, then why does bad stuff happen? Here's what he says about why do the storms keep coming, even if I'm faithful to God. Here's what Billy Graham says. Number one, evil does not come from God. It is a byproduct of a broken, sinful world. God didn't choose sin, man did. Number two, one day all evil will be banished from this world when Jesus returns. And he is coming back. And we do believe that here at the bridge. And number three, and for me, this is the best part. For now, in the midst of the storm, while evil is still rampant, until all evil is banished when Jesus returns, for right now, 2,000 years ago, a little baby was born into this broken world in a cow trough in the middle of a barn. His name is Jesus. And he came to be a strong and trustworthy anchor in the midst of whatever you are facing today. And here's some even better news. Jesus didn't come just for good people who never make mistakes. He came for you and for me. I heard a pastor say one time, God uses messy, broken people because messy, broken people are all he has to choose from. If you don't remember anything else we say today, please don't miss this. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you hope. I leave you this this today as the band comes up and we're going to close this thing out. Romans 15, 13 is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. And I just read it over you today as hopefully encouragement for you says, may the God of hope, the thrill of hope, this hope, strong and trustworthy anchor, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope, meaning your hope gets all over somebody else's life. 
You, your hope spills out and gives them hope. And how do you get that hope? Only one way, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come through willpower or human strength. It only comes from Jesus. We're going to close today by singing this song that we've been talking about for a month now. Oh, holy night. And those words that we said in the very beginning, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I get the privilege of telling you today, and I don't know what brought you in here today. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you lost a bet. Maybe somebody bribed you. If they bribed you, good on them. But I get to tell you this good news. God has not forgotten you. and He has not given up on you. And he sent Jesus to give you hope. Let's pray together. God, thank you for hope. Thank you for Jesus coming into the midst of this chaos to calm it, to give us hope in the midst of all the storms raging around us in our lives. God, I pray for every person here who is hurting or searching or skeptical that you would just pour out on them this day 